25 seconds left to play. You're listening to the Matt Wyatt Show. I want winners. This crowd is alive. You play to win the game. Wyatt from the shotgun, two backs alongside. Knock him out, John. Wyatt gets the ball. It won't be long. Wyatt back to throw. Wyatt looks. Fires toward the end zone. Passes. Caught for touchdown by Matthew Butler. Speak to the Matt Wyatt Show. He's Radio Wyatt. Well, how am I going to go to college? I'll just play football. What up? A good day and a how y'all are to you. What's happening? I'm Matt in the Farm Bureau studio. Farm Bureau, go with the home team. They are your home team at Farm Bureau. Local agents, competitive rates, fast service, friendly service. That's what you get at Farm Bureau. One-on-one, deal with somebody face-to-face, one-on-one. And that's the way it ought to be. And that's the way it is at Farm Bureau. And also staying connected to you because of C Spire, the number one network in Mississippi. C Spire, customer inspired. Uh, I say that a lot, and I mean it. It's not just a tagline. I, um, As you probably know, if you listen to this show, I don't stay in one place very long. <laughs> now, I have a uh, Farm Bureau studio that is in place. It's sitting there set up um, in my hometown of Tupelo where all you got to do is walk in, sit down, and broadcast. But b- b- the the other things that I do for a living, as you know, I'm you know running a small business, and there's a lot of things that go into it, but we're doing a lot of other things on the uh, video production side. Um we're in the filmmaking business. Uh, we've got a couple of beach balls batted up in the air in the documentary filmmaking process that are really long undertakings and other things um, that are just starting. So what that means is I move around a lot, as you know if you listen to this show. I don't always sit in the same place. This, however, is not work-related. I'm on vacation. The Wyatts and the Morgans and all of us are together on the beach Matter of fact, uh, I'm sitting by a window right now in my mobile Farm Bureau studio where if I <clears throat> pull the curtain back, I could give you a weather report uh, for the um, for the Gulf and, you know, how white the sand is and whether or not the water's clear. That's right behind me. <laughs> if I could open this window, you could hear the, the, the waves. But I can't open it. Plus, I don't want to because it's burning up hot out there. But anyway, to tell you, that's what I mean by staying connected to you because of C Spire. I promise you, in this location where I am, with very little, very little uh, uh, internet service, uh, really not much to plug into, to be honest with you, um, because of C Spire, I'm able to get this show to you today. So I appreciate them uh, very much. Hey, um, you may have seen this on my Twitter feed. I am Radio Wyatt. But earlier today, I jumped on an interview with the guys who do the SEC show over on uh, Sirius Satellite Radio. They have several different hosts, but uh, today's Jacob Hester and Pat Bradley um, talking a little uh, football. 
uh, Mississippi State related, but um, which is that's what we're doing this time of year, previewing teams, and so I get calls for that. But also talking a little bit about um, other quarterbacks around the league. That's one thing that I do is I, I, I do it for fun, maybe make a little extra money on the side, but I do it for fun, and that is just kind of breaking down film and doing film study videos have become popular on Facebook and YouTube. I've posted those for a couple of years now. If you've never connected with those, um, you can do it. Um, you can find my channel on YouTube, just youtube.com slash Matt Wyatt Media, or head on over to facebook.com slash Radio Wyatt, but you'll find me there. I post those links and stuff, and they're always on my Twitter feed, at Radio Wyatt. Recently, I posted some videos where I went back to last year and watched a little film of uh, Joe Burrow from LSU and watched a little film from uh, Jake Fromm of Georgia. Broke that stuff down just a little bit to show some examples of why they were successful. Burrow, a first-year guy in the SEC. Uh, Jake Fromm, a second-year guy. And some of that. So uh, if you're interested in those, I have experience you know, with uh, football enough to kind of be able to tell you what's happening on certain plays and you may enjoy that. And so as a part of those conversations, um, a lot of these times I do interviews, they've seen those, and they'll ask me about that. So not only do I get questions on some of those about State and Tommy Stevens and Moorhead's offense and Bob Shoup and the defense and that kind of stuff, but also every now and then I get a question about something from Joe Burrow or Felipe Franks of Florida or something like that. <clears throat> So that came up in that interview. You might have seen that. It was on my Twitter feed. Uh, Frank Fowler, who is the producer of that show, and a guy that I know who reaches out from time to time for interviews, retweeted that. And obviously I did talk about Felipe Franks and um, and uh, his progression under Dan Mullen. So here was the context. Now, you can decide whether you agree with me on this and, and what you think. The question, and I've gotten it in two different interviews here recently, is of the quarterbacks around the SEC, we know that Jake Fromm and Tua Tonga-Valoa are in that top tier. But the question was, you know, who among the quote-unquote other guys in the SEC are players that I think could move into that top tier if they're not already in there? Okay, so who would the who would the candidates be first and foremost? Well, it would be Jarrett Garantano at Tennessee, who showed you a lot last year. It would be Felipe Franks, possibly Florida. <clears throat> it would be Jake Bentley, South Carolina, certainly a candidate to maybe have a huge year in his final year in uh, Columbia and maybe move into that tier. And then, frankly, after that, it's a bunch of newcomers. Now, you do have Terry Wilson, who I think is back at Kentucky, but, you know, you look at State potentially a newcomer there, but you know, it could be Tommy Stevens who's new to the league, but even if it's Keaton Thompson, he's a he'd be a new first year starter, even though we've seen him play a little football at state. You look at Missouri, you got Kelly Bryant who's transferred in there from Clemson, he'd be a first year guy. You'd have a first year player at Vandy. Matt Corral at Ole Miss could could be one of the better players in the league. We have to wait and see, but again, he'd be a first year starter. So Outside of just two or three guys, it's hard for me as an analyst who I, I keep my feet squarely on the ground. I just do. I, I'm not out here at all interested in 
driving up the ratings for my radio show or driving up the clicks on my YouTube channel by stirring people up, by finding a ledge to stand out on by myself so that it will focus everybody's attention on me. That's just not the way I'm doing this. That's not what I'm interested in. I, I'm not smart enough to do that. It takes really smart people to find those key ledges and limbs to get out on by themselves that generates a lot of attention. I, I'm not smart enough to do that. So I just keep my feet on the ground. And by taking that approach, I can't sit here and project or predict to you with any feeling of accuracy anyway of the kind of year that Matt Corral is going to have at Ole Miss. One, we haven't seen him play a whole season. Two, he has a new offense. We don't even really know what the offense is going to look like yet. And if you think you can get an indication by watching a spring game, you're wrong. Um, People would say to me, okay, well, what about uh, Tommy Stevens at Mississippi State? Well, number one, he he really showed out at the Manning Passing Academy. He has all the tools. He's huge, 6'4", 230. Big, huge, strong arm. Great athlete. Played receiver for Pete's sake in there. He caught touchdown passes in Big Ten games. He's a great athlete. But all those things don't mean anything until you see him handle a four-quarter ball game under center trying to match wits mentally with a defensive coordinator. A lot of people in football think it's offensive coordinator versus defensive coordinator. It's not. It's quarterback versus defensive coordinator. So it's you know, 19, 20, 21-year-old kid on the field has got to operate this thing, matching wits against a 55-year-old defensive coordinator making $2 million a year. Okay? It's a little bit of a mismatch. <laughs> and so until you see that, until I see it, I don't know how to predict. And the other thing is Tommy Stevens may not win the job at State. Certainly I think they brought him in there to win it, to play. They feel like he can it's not like he's a transfer with three years of eligibility. He has one. So we get all that. But I'm telling you, if they get into fall camp and Keaton Thompson elevates and then goes and wins the team and wins the job, ask me if I'm surprised. I wouldn't be surprised. Literally, that's not a throwaway line. I literally would not be surprised. So there's just so many unknowns with the first-year guys that it's hard for me to – really kind of tell you, we got to see it first. But some of these others we've seen, you know, what is your perception and your thought on Jarrett Garantano at Tennessee? What do you think about Felipe Franks at Florida and some of the other, Joe Burrow who's coming back at LSU? So that, that's a whole lot of context for me to throw at you to, to kind of explain – why I answered the question the way I did. <clears throat> All right. And again, if you saw the tweet coming out of that interview on the that serious uh, SEC show this morning, I was asked the question who I think are players, quarterbacks in the SEC that could maybe have the kind of year that elevates them into that top tier of quarterbacks in the SEC. Uh, I'm going to get to Joe Burrow in a minute because I think he could be one of those also. But it it's a lot of that depends on how they use him and what they need him to do. You know, how much the ball is in the air and how much you rely on, I don't know, you know, rely on him. I pointed out Felipe Franks at Florida. Now, 
Franks, much like Joe Burrow at LSU, coming back, started all of last year, but never was that 350, 400-yard passing a game guy. Let me let me put it in perspective for you, too. We saw that from a Dak Prescott his senior year. 340, 350, 400 yards, didn't we? You saw that from him. There are some senior quarterbacks every year in this league, in the SEC, that go out and light people up. If you're looking for numbers, if you're looking for numbers, I'm talking passing yards and that kind of thing, which are important. I think Jake Bentley at South Carolina is going to be a guy who's going to put up huge numbers. They're going to rely on him in that way. But back to Felipe Franks at Florida. The reason I point him out is because, you know, you can't just go by passing numbers. I mean, he had a big game passing and a loss to Kentucky, but they didn't score, right? He had a huge game passing against Vanderbilt, and they put up 37 points. Of course, that's Vanderbilt. And then they score 41 points in the bowl game against Michigan. He only throws for 173 total yards. But what I saw is when you watch it on film – I see a guy who was, number one, Felipe Franks was much better at the end of the year than he was at the beginning of the year. He was. Again, they never relied on him to be that, you know, throw it 35 times a game and throw for 350 yards. They never relied on him for that. But in terms of percentages and clutch throws and third downs and beginning to read things down the field better, he got better throughout the year. You know, at the end of September, so the first month of last season, Felipe Franks, he only had, what, 219 yards passing in that win over Mississippi State. A lot of those yards were bubble screens. By the end of the year, he was reading some stuff down the field. The competition was a little different. You know, they finished with Missouri, South Carolina, Idaho, and Florida State. It's not necessarily a murderer's row in their November schedule last year. But still, he was better I felt like throughout the year. The other thing, though, that leads me to point to him is, yeah, he's huge. Yeah, he has a really strong arm, you know, naturally, arm strength, that kind of thing. But everybody that has played the quarterback position for Dan Mullen gets better. Everybody that's played quarterback for Dan Mullen is better from one year to the next, and they all go out and are a little better than people expect them to be. Felipe Franks was better throughout the year last year than anybody expected him to be. And it'll happen again this year. So, if he had, let's count them up, okay? In the first month of the season, he had three games where, you know, he's 200 yards or better. In October, he only had one game where he's 200 yards or better passing. Um, in the win over LSU, he only throws for 161 yards. They kind of shorten that game. And then in November, he had a couple of 200-yard games. If you go from half of the games where he's 200 yards better, 250 or so, to two-thirds of the games this year, which is very possible, um, he's really going to elevate that team, he's going to elevate kind of into another conversation. Plus, he's that one more year of experience than under a coach like Dan Mullen, uh, who, you know, they came out throwing the football last year. You could tell that Dan really believed in him. So, I just, I see the tools. 
you saw the progression last year of improvement. The winning, they won their last four games. They run Michigan out of there in the bowl game. They're going to be confident. I know they've had the tumultuous offseason of transfers and all that kind of stuff, but still, I think going into this year, I just look for him to be someone who has improved. And, yeah, a lot of that is because he uh, plays for Dan Mullen. And quarterbacks under Mullen get better. I'm not saying they always elevate into, you know, big-time draft picks and NFL guys. No, not at all. That's not what I'm saying at all. It has nothing to do with anything. I just think that – I think that he will be better this year. You know – a lot of people do also point to Garantano at Tennessee as a guy who could possibly elevate. I think he has farther to go. Number one, I don't think he has as good a team around him. And he got hit a bunch last year. And he, you know, basically let's put it this way. He had two games all of last season where he hit the 200-yard mark passing in a ball game. One of those was on the road in a loss to South Carolina where he threw for 207. The other one was in the win at Auburn, where he threw for 328 yards. So this huge outlier in the Auburn game where they were pumping it down the field, the rest of them. uh, So 10 of their 12 games last year at Tennessee, he's way under 200 yards passing. And, you know, so they've just got a little farther to go. Around him, everything. Does he have the talent? Yeah, he does. Now, Here's another thing. I, I mentioned this to you earlier, just a football nugget. I mentioned this to you earlier. Uh, Joe Moorhead on Wednesday is going to host a media session with Mississippi State media members who cover the team where he's actually going to break down some film. He's going to do a little coaching, a little X's and O's on a chalkboard, talk about his offense and how it works and that kind of thing. I think that's going to be neat. Um, will it be super in-depth? Probably not. It, you know, it might be basic to a degree. One thing I think that media members are going to learn when they sit in there and go through a little bit of a film session with someone like Joe Moorhead. Now, I, I don't say this in a uppity way. I don't mean it. I'm just trying to tell you the truth. Listen, here's what's going to happen. The media members who sit in there and watch that, it's going to become very clear to them how little they actually know about the game and what's going on on plays, everything that goes into it. Will they admit that? Never. They will never admit that. Media people just by default, um, they wake up every day needing to prove to people that they are smart and needing for you to think that they have a great understanding of stuff. They don't, and they won't. But uh, you'll have some things that trickle out of that. But I couldn't help but wonder, I wonder why they decided to do it. Um, And I wonder if it could become a trend. I've never heard of anything like that before. It's a first of its kind, I think. I've never, as far as I know, I don't know of any other coach who's ever done that. So I'm, I'm curious what, you know, could be the thinking behind it. I do think, again, some of it, we're starting to get into an era more and more where more and more media, you know, uh, they've played enough PlayStation so they feel like they know, you know, formations and plays and schemes and what's supposed to be happening. Um, 
that's very seldom the case. We'll see what comes out of it. Obviously, I'm on vacation. Couldn't be there. Uh, wish I could. Could could maybe learn something. But that's something to look for. You'll see it popping up on Wednesday um, on your Twitter feed. We're 53 days. So how about that? In 53 days, Joe Moorhead and State are going to kick off 11 a.m. on ESPNU against uh, ULL, University of Louisiana, Louisiana Lafayette. And uh, here 53 days away, he's going to have the media in there show him a few uh, pass patterns. One thing that is, it, it's it's it wasn't going on in college football very much, not to the degree it is now 20 years ago, and that is, you know, receivers having to read coverage on the fly. You call a play and his route, four different guys are running four different routes based on what the coverage does. And that's, I think, one of the reasons that there was a lot of confusion last year in the pass game for Mississippi State is they just didn't have all that stuff ironed down. There was what you know, you can just tell. You can just watch them and tell that there was they were confused for, you know, a big part of the year. Um they had some times where they hit some big plays. Um middle part of the year they kind of started to get it just a little bit, but still they never really completely got it ironed out throughout the year. A lot of that does have to do with quarterback, but a lot of it is on those receivers as well. No doubt about it. All right. Um, getting hour number two of today's show underway. Speaking of quarterbacks, I got one more I want to talk just a little bit about. Just some of the stuff I saw watching a little film. You agree with me on the Felipe Franks thing at Florida? You may totally disagree, and that's fine. I've been wrong before. Won't be the first time. Stick around. All right, welcome back. I'm Matt in the Farm Bureau studio. Farm Bureau, go with the home team. We picked up the Farm Bureau studio, threw it in a car, and brought it with us down here to the beach. If I were to pull the curtain back right behind the chair I'm sitting in, if I could open the window, you'd be able to hear the waves crashing. Yep, we're having a little fun down here in the sand. It's hot as all get out. I know that much. <clears throat> Are y'all like us? You, uh, you know, drive five, six hours to the beach for a week and spend most of your time in the pool. <laughs> Are we the only ones that do that? I'm sure we're not. Hey, uh, how good is Joe Burrow, quarterback at LSU? Is he good? Is he great? Is he good? Is he average? What do you think? Everybody's got different opinions on it. I kind of I felt like last year Burrow showed a lot of toughness. You know, and he's another guy that you know, he started strong. They did. They were a good team at LSU and he started pretty strong, but you know, it wasn't it wasn't it was never really flashy. But uh by the end of the year, all of a sudden uh they took advantage of some opponents and really put up big numbers. Um Numbers and I'll tell you everything. There's always a story behind those stats. Are like a bikini; they'll show you a lot, but not everything. 
But, like, you know, he started the year with that 140-yard passing game against Miami. Nick Brissett had the big game rushing, 125 yards against Miami in their season opener last year. And then uh, week three of the year, he throws for 250 against Auburn. They had that drive at the end of the game. He converts a fourth down and put him in field goal, and they kicked the field goal to beat Auburn, and that was a confidence builder for them. Uh, just a hair under 300 yards passing against Ole Miss. Throughout the year, though, I mean, they didn't even come close to the 300-yard passing mark. You know, really, okay, so close to it in that Ole Miss game, but I, that's the only one. In the first nine, eight, nine games of the year, they hosted Rice there in late November. He throws for 307 and put up 42 points, kind of what you would expect in that, that matchup. Then they play the seven-overtime game. Burrow throws for 270 against Texas A&M. He throws for 394 in the bowl game against UCF. Okay, so a guy who, for the first six weeks of the year, was you know under 300 yards, and then he, by the end of the year, he's got two 300-yard games in two of his last three, including just a hair off of 400 yards against UCF. You know, he was never dependent during the portion of the SEC season that means the most. He was never a guy that they went out and depended on him to throw for that 350, 400 a game. It's not what they did. They were running the ball. You know, you saw 100 yard games for Edwards Hilaire against Georgia. He, he had 145. He had 136 against La Tech. You know, Brissett started strong and had 125 against Miami in the season opener. Um, had 90 yards rushing against Arkansas. Brissett had 117 on the ground in, against UCF. So, you know, they were very balanced, wanted to run the ball. But what I saw from Joe Burrow was just a winner. Man, it, that's kind of what I saw throughout the year. They found ways to beat people throwing it. Like we said, UCF, teams like that, Ole Miss, they found ways to beat people throwing it. They found ways to beat people running it. I mean, in the Texas A&M game that they won in seven overtimes, Joe Burrow was their leading rusher with 100 yards. I just saw a winner. And the other thing that stood out to me, and and I posted this in that film study video that I did of Joe Burrow, and it's on my Twitter feed, is I just saw toughness. You know, yes, okay, if you play quarterback in the SEC, all 14 starting quarterbacks in the SEC are tough to a degree. Yeah, they're all tough physically, everything. You know, you've got a certain toughness about you to go win the job to begin with. But when you get in those ball games and teams are coming at you and, you know, and everybody's watching and sometimes bad stuff happens and the ability to bounce back after a bad play, I just saw he, he would stand in there. You know, Burrow in that Auburn game is a great example. He had some times where he had big throws he completed, converted first downs when protection was kind of loose around him. Auburn was hitting him some. They were in his face, and he he never got on his heels. His footwork never broke down. What I mean by that is a lot of times quarterbacks will they'll have bad footwork because they know they're going to get hit. They're still trying to throw it, but brace themselves for contact. He never did that. It takes a lot of guts to just ignore the pressure completely, step right into it, let it go, and bam, get hit. That happened a bunch in the Auburn game. He showed that toughness. You know, that last drive, the game-winning drive against Auburn, 
I keep bringing this up because, you know, that was a good indication to me. That was his first SEC game. It was on the road in front of 85,000 opposing fans. And the last drive, they're down two or three or what? They're down two. They were down two, 21-19. They're out at or close to midfield the last few minutes. They've got to make this drive. And on third down, they caught a running play, and he just got popped. They had a they were overloaded on the line of scrimmage. They only had six blockers. You're reading it sort of, but they had seven on the line. Somebody's not blocked. The one unblocked linebacker just tattooed him, knocked him back. Big hit. Third down stop, midfield. Auburn preserving a two-point lead. Everybody's going crazy. Auburn players are celebrating and all this. Burrow calls a play. It's fourth down. He has to have it. They go man-to-man. He reads it perfectly and throws a slant and a strike for a first down. And about two plays later, they kick the game-winning field goal. He just showed some of that toughness stuff. And you're like, yeah, well, Matt, the Florida game. Yeah, Joe Burrow had the the awful finish to the Florida game, had a pick six late. It was a a close game. They had a chance to go kick a winning field goal again with the last drive, the same way they did at Auburn, but this time – his pass was picked off, and Florida returned it for a touchdown. They lose on the road because of a pick six, effectively. And how did he respond? How did the team respond? The very next week, they beat Georgia. Second-rate Georgia beat them by 20 points in Baton Rouge, 36-16. to 16. He throws for 200. It wasn't flashy, but he never made the huge mistake. He had a huge run at the end of the game, and he just led the team. I just see a winner, and he did it in different ways, and I saw some toughness. So what does that all mean? He was better at the end of last year than he was at the beginning. And I think if if that parlays, they have a chance to be pretty good at LSU. Um, how good, I don't know. You know, I'm not going to sit here and predict this championship or that bowl game and all that crap. That's just not me. But I do think they have a chance to be pretty doggone good. They're a 10-game winner last year, nine in the regular season, and won their bowl game. And they're going to win their opener, Georgia Southern, in 53 days. And then they go to Texas. That would be a pretty good test. Texas beat Georgia in the bowl game last year. It's a really good week two matchup for uh, college football fans. Week two, September 7th, LSU goes to Texas out there. Uh, So that's a good one. If you look then at the schedule for LSU this year, road games in the SEC at Vandy, at Mississippi State, at Alabama, and at Ole Miss. And they will be favored in three of those four, Vandy, State, and Ole Miss. They will not be favored at Alabama. And so that means they're getting Florida, Auburn, Arkansas, and Texas A&M all at home. Their last two games of the year going to be at home. And, yeah, so I think LSU um, and Joe Burrow, I think it's somebody we don't need a discount this year. For them, the whole thing really could come down to that A&M game and the Florida game and the Alabama game. Uh, you got Texas in there in a non-conference, but that won't mean anything when it comes to the conference record. So we'll see. We'll see. I think that it's very uh, a very interesting team, and I like Joe Burrow. Kind of like what I saw from him last year. Not flashy, not amazing, just really tough and really solid. A winner. What do you think? Let me know. You can tweet me at Radio Wyatt. I'm Matt in the Farm Bureau studio. Farm Bureau, go with the home team. Stick around.
what's happening? All right. <clears throat> Kick back on the beach. In about 10 minutes from now, when I tell y'all bye, I'll have my toes in the sand within five minutes. Within 10 minutes after that, I'll be lathered up in sunscreen, covered up, big old bucket hat. (laughs) Yeah, that's me. I learned the hard way. You see, you know, 20 years ago, you're a college kid. I'd come down here, and you're out in the sun, and just get like I don't tan, but I would try to. And so, like you stay out long enough, you can fool people and think you have a tan. And then what happened over the last ten years is I've been to the dermatologist way too much, getting cut on and gouged out and sewn up, skin cancer stuff. So, sunscreen, kids, wear that sunscreen, <laughs> no doubt. Put it on. And so I will be, I got no choice now. I got no choice. All right, welcome back into the show. I'm Matt in the Farm Bureau studio. I appreciate you tuning in. Lots of football. Next week is SEC Media Days. Put the ball down. Let's play. Hey, uh, you can always communicate with me on the Twitter feed, at Radio Wyatt. Yesterday, a couple things here. Yesterday, I got some cool tweets from Jason. Jason, I hope you're listening today. Jason's out in Arizona. He's a Mississippian by birth. So we like Jason. And uh, he was he commented, he sent me a tweet and commented about um, something that I had put on Twitter. And I think I mentioned it on yesterday's radio show. So if you were listening, you remember that. I was, you know, making the point about preseason rankings and how they're dubious at best. I put that in a tweet. Because there's so many examples of every year we get it wrong. Every year we get it wrong. The top three, four teams in college football, that's easy. You Look, anybody can put out a, here's my preseason top 25, and you can put Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, and Oklahoma in some order in your top five, top six, and you got a great chance to finish and look like you knew what you were talking about. Anybody can do the top five. But outside of that, nobody knows. Literally nobody knows. You can look it up right now and tell me on any preseason poll who they have ranked number 10, and I promise you they're not finishing number 10. (laughs) I promise you there will be three teams who are three of the best 25 teams in the country at the end of the year who nobody's talking about right now. And there's a whole bunch of stuff. It's dubious at best. And the example that I used, was the Auburn Tigers last season in 2018. That was the example that I used. Auburn went into Mississippi State last year, ranked number eight, and uh, lost, got rolled up. They were ranked eighth based on a four-and-one resume with wins over Washington, Alcorn State, Arkansas, and Southern Miss. (laughs) Right? Sure enough, they finished the season losing four of their last seven games and unranked, and they didn't even finish in the top eight in the SEC, much less top eight in the country. They were ranked number eight at one time. Two things about that, and then I'm getting to Jason's tweet about it yesterday that I want to read to you. Two things about that. 
one, it's an example. We see them every year. And Auburn's just the latest. I'm not picking on Auburn. I want to say that. But number two, this is a fact. Auburn was 4-1 and one <clears throat> last year with those wins over Alcorn State, Arkansas, Southern Miss, and Washington. The reason they were ranked number eight is number eight is because of the logo on the side of their helmet. Let me say that again. The reason they were ranked number eight at that time is because of the logo on the side of their helmet. Period. There is no other reason. Loads of other teams could have blown out Washington and Alcorn State and Arkansas and Southern Miss and would not sniff a top 10 ranking because of the logos on the side of their helmets. That's what it all is, folks. It's perception versus reality. That's what it is. That's what life is. It's perception versus reality. It's like somebody who mows and neatly manicures their front lawn Meanwhile, the inside of their house is a disaster, and their backyard, you can't even walk through it because it's up to their knees. Looks good from the road, though, doesn't it? Looks good if you drive by it 35 miles an hour. Behind that front yard's a disaster. Perception versus reality. That's what it is. Jason responded to that. He said, I don't get Auburn being ranked, but State beating them last year should be irrelevant. State should have beaten everyone this side of Alabama. He said, I'm file 13ing any publication that has State ranked in the preseason after what we've lost. Now, how do you feel about that, State fans? That's a State fan, and Jason's been on that. Jason has been vocal on my Twitter feed about the fact that that was a big underachievement last year. You know, those eight wins with those three first-rounders on defense and and all that. How do you feel about that? Tweet me those responses at Radio Wyatt, and I may talk about some of them on uh, tomorrow's show on Wednesday. Yeah, listen, um, you lose three first-round picks on the defensive side. You lose your best offensive lineman, Elton Jenkins. Now, Darrell Williams moving over to center spot. They're fine on the offensive line. At state, it's not players. They got plenty of players. They, it's just a matter of you know, are they whipped up into shape and kind of ready to play? Um, and you know, Jason, I will tell you, you're not alone in thinking that state was supposed to win a bunch of games last year. Uh, this morning, early, I was on a radio show with Jacob Hester. He was hosting, and they called me for an interview. Jacob Hester, former LSU great, played in the NFL. Uh, He said that he predicted, I think he predicted last year's state team to go 11-1. Sure did. Predicted them to go 11-1. And And you and I both know they had basically the best defense in the country. If they had a consistent offense, consistent pass game on offense, they probably would have gone close to that. They certainly would have won two more. They would have beaten Kentucky. They would have beaten Florida with any consistency in the pass game, but they didn't have it. So um, you're not alone in that assessment. I think this year for State, it's got to be a trade-off year. They're going to give up a few more. They're still going to be good on defense. They've got players. They're going to be pretty good on defense in ways. 
it just changes. And it's the the huge question mark on defense is defensive front. Do you have enough? Do you have enough and enough bodies and good enough players on that defensive front deep enough to do what you want to do? But they're going to give up more points on defense this year than they did last year. That's just it. Period. They're going to do it. They're going to give up more points. But the trade-off must be that they have to be better on offense and more consistent. You score more points. You know, you can't have a 200-yard total offense outing in the SEC this year. You had a couple of them last year, back-to-back, Kentucky and Florida. You can't do that this year. So it's got to be a trade-off year, and maybe you can go do something. As far as preseason rankings, that's what you're saying is, you know, going to eliminate anybody who has them ranked in the preseason. Um, <clears throat> I just don't care. They can rank them number one or number 100. I just don't care. None of it means anything to me in terms of uh, preseason rankings. Hey, one other tweet from a listener. Kyle tweeted me at Radio Wyatt and said, uh, I was listening to the podcast about attendance. We were, you know, yesterday on the show talking about attendance numbers in college football. They're down across the board in the last two years. The average attendance across the SEC is also down. Kyle says, I was listening. uh, For my family, it is economics. Having to make donations to the University Foundation to purchase tickets, not with parity in different sports. One has to decide where to spend their money. You know, um, Kyle, I, I think, listen, something that college football is going to have to come to grips with is the landscape, the, the scales are tilted and tipped in the direction of about four places. Tuscaloosa, Alabama, Clemson, South Carolina, Columbus, Ohio, and Norman, Oklahoma. And maybe that's good. Maybe it'll change. I don't know. I don't think it's good. I think the the parity is starting to kind of get out of whack just a little bit in college football. And I think people, as the the costs for everything go up, Travel, tickets, hotels, everything. As as the costs continue to go up, I think the the lack of parity in college football is really going to start to work against all that. And that's another factor they got to figure out a way to address. No question about it. They have to figure out a way to address it. Um, all right. That's pretty much going to wrap it up, isn't it? I think it is, yeah. <laughs> Man, I looked up and the clock's ticking. I couldn't believe it's already uh, just about time to go. I've enjoyed it. Today's show went by quickly. Seems like we're getting a football that does that. One week from today, we'll be broadcasting from SEC Media Days in Hoover. Hope you'll tune in for that. And I appreciate you tuning in today. We'll do it again tomorrow, same time, same place, here on the show. I'm Matt in the Farm Bureau studio. Farm Bureau, go with the home team. See you then. See you.